0: This is the Real Estate for Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Coover. I'm an attorney in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. And today we have another great guest. We have Kapil Khanna, who's the CEO of Lamar Johnson Collaborative. Kapil, are you also the president and CEO?
1: No, I am now the CEO. My partner, actually, Sarah Jacobson, who uh, used to be in Chicago, moved out to LA, and she is the president and I am the CEO.
0: Well, congratulations on yeah. that relatively recent promotion. Um, we're excited to have you on the show. Please you know, tell me a little bit about Lamar Johnson Collaborative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, LJC or Lamar Johnson Collaborative is a, about a 300-person design firm currently. We've got offices in Chicago, in St. Louis, in L.A., Uh, folks in Kansas City, some folks in Atlanta, and then, you know, newly as the pandemic has happened, some folks have been starting up more remote than usual, but certainly a a big part of our team is in in some of those main offices. Uh, Phoenix is another location that we also started recently and that's quickly grown, uh, you know, to well in the 20s for the design team. So it's been an exciting time and an exciting year for us. Overall, LJC is a part of a integrated practice with Clayco, and so you all f- often hear our name uh, associated with projects with Clayco. About half of our work is integrated with the Clayco team, and the other half is just as a standalone design company in the world. So um, Clayco, you know, just to kind of step back further, is a integrated design, develop, and construction company. So everything from LJC, the design arm, Clayco, the construction arm, and CRG, the development arm, um, is all sort of under one roof. We also have some self-performed functions like Concrete Strategies, which is a pretty large concrete company, and Ventana, uh, which is a fairly large envelope and high-performing skin company for envelopes and, and building enclosure.
0: Great. No, thank you for that background. Yeah, I see Clayco and CRG, they're always in the news doing really exciting projects and now I know, you know, from my discussions with you who's who's got the design component to those projects. But you said that you're also available for third-party work. So if somebody wanted to hire LJC they could contact you and, and try to do, right. to do other projects.
1: Yeah, and the same thing with the Clayco team and the CRG team. They're using other architects um, and, and you know partnering a lot. So I think that makes us fairly unique in the world, of, especially of integrated companies. I think the fact that we are able to go out and reach into the market and find and, and successfully bring in our own work you know, also keeps us fairly sharp and uh, competitive. So I think that's an important part of our company's culture. I think that that's
0: true. I get that a lot because I'll be talking to a company's in-house counsel and they'll be like, well, that's market. And in my mind, i am never rude enough to say this, but I'm like, well, you're only seeing one side of things. Like you're yeah. seeing what your company does. So how yeah. do you know what's market? I get to see how many different people as a third-party service provider, get to see what really is happening in the market and kind of the variations of things. So that does, I'm sure, like you get other ideas and see other things from working with outside that you can bring, you know, to keep it within the vertical structure.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Phil. It's a, you know, it's it's unique because we don't have two ways of working, right? We don't have a in-house way of working and an outside way of working it's the same team it's the same talented folks that are doing the work and so those ideas and you know i think it's one of the big differentiators actually for ljc in the in the market when we're competitive is because we sit at this intersection all the time of development and construction as a designer and as an architect we tend to understand, and we ask different questions and different, you know, just viewpoints of what it takes to get a building off the ground from a development standpoint. We understand how hard that is. We understand the risks. We understand the market, uh, you know, and what we're hearing from our development company for a very different type of project. Uh, but some of those kind of questions are really driving to our process, and what I think other developers, when they do use us. Have uh, you know a, an observation that we're we're a fairly unique company. And the same thing on the construction side. We're just looking at things from a different angle and from a different perspective, because you know our architects are working hand in hand as a construction company as well with Clayco.
0: Oh, that makes total sense. One thing that I was just thinking about while you're saying is there's been this push over the past five, ten years of standardizing processes and having in order to scale, you have to have processes that do things uniformly. But as you're talking, I run into this, like I would love to standardize a lease or a purchase and sale contract longer. <laughs> the problem is you got to think and you have yeah. to apply yeah. it to the unique situation. We work in real estate, which is uniquely unique. I Yeah. <laughs> could have come, come, come up with that a little bit cleaner, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's like you always hear like all to scale. You got to have these processes, and you should have some processes, but you have to be able to adapt to the situation. Yeah,
1: I think that's right. And I think you know, for us, I think the biggest process that we have is hiring really good people. (laughs) You know, that's the biggest part. Is if you hire really good people who uh, know how to, you know, think exactly to your words. And you know, I always have felt that onboarding is a two way street. The whole purpose of going out and scaling and recruiting from new parts of the country, from different perspectives, from different backgrounds has always been, what can we learn from them coming into the company? Um, I certainly think culture is what we give a platform of to those folks coming in and giving them you know, the platform to be able to use all the resources within the enterprise and within Clayco. And so I think that, that that's that's sort of our biggest consistency. One of the other things that we've always talked about is, you know, kind of a hallmark in a Bob Clarkism for sure, uh, something that, and Bob Clark's the founder of Clayco and started it uh, based in St. Louis well over 30 years ago now. So he, he, you know, he always talks about treat others as you want to be treated as a golden rule. And with that in your playbook, you can kind of, you know, really take care of a lot of the questions that come up day to day. Um, We do try to standardize certain things, of course, that make it faster for documents to be produced, for, you know, details to be kind of solved. But at the same time, you're 100% right. There is no prototype. You have to think. You have to adopt it to a market or, especially right now, supply chain uh, impacts and uh, and labor markets, right? So these are so unique, you know, in terms of its climate, in terms of its impact in what's happening in those local economies, that you really do have to to first and foremost learn what you're doing, where you're doing
0: it. Right, and you know, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the market, and for the audience, you know, Clayco, CRG, LJC, they do really large projects, really interesting, really large projects. Um, they're not designing single-family homes or anything to that magnitude. They're doing things with magnitude and, and that make an imprint in the market, so you're you're always kind of pushing your boundaries. Um, but I know because I work with a lot of developers, kind of what's going on with the supply chain, but maybe not everyone does. I'm curious to you have your perspective on it.
1: Yeah, it's it's been interesting, you know. I mean, so overall, from a scale perspective, Clayco as a as an entire organization will end up doing about five point five billion in revenue this year. So certainly a great deal of scale, a great deal of um, of movement through the company and across the, the the country, and seeing what's being impacted. And and really, what was happening throughout the year was just the same kind of impacts that we're actually seeing on a day to day with everything from you know, toilet paper to uh, uh, whatever it is that you were trying to get. If you were going to furnish a home recently, you probably encountered you know going from a six-week delay or a six-week delivery to twelve and fourteen and sixteen weeks. And so, what was happening in the same thing in the commercial space was each one of those building materials was getting impacted deeply. You know, it started out with steel, then it went to For example, that's one of the things that I think we as a design company do a little bit better is because we hear those things first coming through the scale of the organization and how it's being impacted and we start bringing that up to all of our clients and saying, "Hey, you know, if this project's going to go, although we're, you know, in early design, we need to probably prioritize our steel and get in line for the mill order." And and so You know, we started doing that fairly early and it was an advantage for us as a company, but also for our clients, because that was minimizing the risk that they were taking when they're starting to have to do the construction on projects, especially in this economy right now. So, you know, labor markets continue to be pretty tight. Uh, I think lately some things are definitely starting to get impacted on the capital markets and what's happening, especially with, new projects and projects that were you know anticipated to start or projects that are being looked at to start. Um, certainly that, that capital marketing market is getting tighter, thus making full releases of projects kind of, you know start to see a little bit of an impact. I think it depends on the market you're in and the geography you're in and how, that, how severe that impact is, of course, you know, uh, places like Phoenix right now, Um, places like the East Coast and even, you know, especially in in areas where a big boom of housing and manufacturing has happened, like we were talking about. It's clear that those projects, especially things like, you know, we just won a, a recent project for a EV and battery manufacturing facility. Those projects aren't slowing down, you know, despite the fact that you may have the same challenges of supply chain. They're actually getting faster. You know, and so those things are what we're continually encountering and through, you know, the knowledge sharing that we're able to do within the enterprise, we're just able to share that knowledge back to our clients a little bit better and faster.
0: Totally. While you're talking, I'm glad you talked about budgeting now for supply chain issues, trying to pre-order materials. I was actually having this argument last week with an opposing counsel, I represent the owner, and we're, we're arguing over force majeure provisions. And the argument was about whether or not a supply chain issue is force majeure. I was saying that's not an act of God. It's not. It's not something completely unpredictable. We've been living in this for two, three years now. Like sometimes you got to just make plan. You know, push your project schedule out a little bit. I'm not coming up with the schedule. You're coming up with the schedule. Yeah but you would probably be on the other side of it. I have a slightly
1: different viewpoint just because... (laughs) And by the way, I'll
0: take the other side of it too. (laughs) No,
1: I have a slightly different viewpoint just because, again, I think it's perspective, right? Like what you see and how it's impacted. The reality is you call up a supplier um, and say, hey, we're going to need transformers for a project. And it goes from 20 weeks to 30 weeks to 40 to 60 to 80 all in the course of pricing and or or vetting out the job and so it's hard for folks to understand that that is not really you know you can't you can't out manage that schedule when it goes from 20 to 80 weeks you know and currently if you try to go get a transformer out in the market it might be in that range you know and so th- right now we can predict some of those things the pace in which projects were happening and the pace in which folks are looking for the lock-in of a price or the, the elimination of some risk and versus the, the impact of, you know, when the actual contracts are also negotiated is impactful, right? So language and intent, uh, are important. And there, it is hard to predict in certain places where the next shift will be. Um, It went from steel to roofing to insulation to, you know, in certain areas, cement and fly ash and concrete. Right now, electrical switch gears, incredibly long lead. So those things will continue to pivot and new things will happen. And it is certainly not a normal kind of market to be predicting on. Right. And so I think that's the one thing that we've all learned on the same side, the force majeure. There's things that we can be proactive about. and good management, good construction, good design, you know, good collaboration with the owner, you can start to identify where those things are. And really it boils down to, you know, how transparent the project's communication is and what challenges and how you face them, right?
0: Totally, while you're talking about the transformers being ordered and the delivery dates being extended out, it reminds me of when you're driving down the road and you got an arrival time on your phone and then you see the traffic getting worse and worse. And your yeah. arrival time yeah. is 6 o'clock and then it's 6.06 and then it's 6.12 yeah. and then it's 6.25. You're like, it's just stressing you out. as You're just driving and it's just getting worse and worse yeah. as
1: you go. And, you know, so that that's where, although it's, uh, you know, you can argue that it's not an act of God. It's also, you know, an impactful Set of events that have happened over the last two years that have changed the entire course of where we get our products, how we get them, and uh, you know the impact that that has on transportation costs, trucking. This, you know, it's a huge shortage, and just having drivers. So all of these things start to impact, actually, from our perspective and the positions that we're talking about as designers. You know, incredibly, right, because our team is challenged to constantly, you know, be thinking about, hey, this project and this design material needs to get approvals by certain time to be in the chain of being able to be ordered in time. As we do those things and get approvals, there's been several projects lately that by the time we make that order, all the process has gone smooth and every bit of information that we're hearing is this material is going to be available by the time it goes in it's not available <laughs> and then you have to restart you know uh, just just imagine doing your house or doing your kitchen if you had to go back and re pick certain things that you've fallen in love with they're not that's not as easy of a thing to explain but that's the reality of what's happening in in places
0: so what are you kind of looking forward in 2023 you know, with Clayco, you talked about in CRG, LJC touches the massive scale of you, you all collectively um, and what you're working on. Has there been any discussion of um, kind of of less projects of volume slowing down or is volume just switching from kind of one area? Like a year ago, people just couldn't throw up spec industrial buildings as fast as they could build them. But that's Really pulled back, especially since Amazon, FedEx, and some other companies have announced, you know, that they're not looking for space. Yeah.
1: I think on the spec side, for sure, right? Because I mean, you have some fairly large users saying, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna see what happens." Um, on the same time, you know, I think for Clayco, we've always been pretty uh, mindful about a diversity in our work and a diversity in our practice, and then also we don't do you know hundreds and hundreds of projects actually we we're actually you know 50 50 plus projects that are fairly large scale are are the ones that we're heavily focused on and those are key clients that are having us travel with them all over the country and so you know i think that clearly like you said the the spec market is definitely going to be looking at okay well, how do we react to the news coming out about a lot of these big users saying, hey, we're going to hold up a little bit. Um, and, you know, they were also stockpiling a decent amount of real estate. Right. And so they've got some room and some wiggle room to kind of adjust. Um, I think in other markets, manufacturing, uh, food and beverage, uh, places that I'm really excited about the growth of our company and where we're you know kind of doing a lot more work indoor agriculture and environmentally controlled agriculture, both vertical, really all non-cannabis based that people are looking at and trying to solve some really big problems in the world when it comes to both the impact of global warming and food production and food distribution. And these are really exciting projects. And it's, it's interesting, like the design team and the kind of range of projects we do, everything from a urban, you know, high rise project that we would put up against anyone else in the world as a design award-winning project, to equally influential manufacturing projects. Uh, you know that we mentioned, like an EV battery manufacturing, or the the kind of problems we're trying to solve with indoor agriculture. Uh, I think these are they're all design challenges to us, and I think they're equally important, right, in different ways. And so those projects, seeing the kind of steam that they've been picking up, and the funding sources getting, um, you know, better and better for them, and people recognizing that this is going to be a, a, a much needed demand, is actually driving those projects into our pipeline further and further, and giving us, you know, more optimism really about twenty
0: twenty three. No, I'm glad you brought that up. I was wanted to talk about the agricultural products uh, projects that you're working on. We were at dinner. And, we, you know, you were mentioning that there was something like a 40-acre uh, agricultural facility. I mean, that, that's, like, bigger than the town that we live in.
1: Yeah. No, they are uh, massive scales. But, you know, if you think about and if you look at them from a yield perspective and, you know, the resources that those facilities take versus the same output that would be required especially, unfortunately, in the current climate impacts that we're seeing uh, throughout the country, They're, they're pretty, you know, amazing throughputs and sustainable projects, right? So if you look at them that way, you know, and that really is about the yield of what you're doing and how you're able to control that environment and the lack of disease, lack of drought impact, lack of all of these things that then continue to use those resources that we all recognize are are incredibly meaningful and stressed to a better outcome. And you know more importantly, the, the ability to take those right from that location in a much more organic kind of sense of environment and ship them to be more immediately from exactly where they were grown to exactly where they're distributed from is a pretty unique model. And uh, there's a lot of companies, a lot of startups right now that are focused on it and something that we've really started to focus on and actually, you know, have folks in our company that are helping us learn and continue to advise our clients on that. So we actually recently, we have a full-time grower in the construction company. (laughs) So he he spent his career uh, focused on indoor agriculture and really came on board to help our engineering team and our construction team and our design team Be more aware of what kind of challenges our clients might be facing, and being able to, you know, be someone that they could speak to um, uh, from a final product and from a final design standpoint.
0: I'm curious how that happened. Were you getting some of these projects, and you decided we need to find somebody who's been doing this a long time to help, or did you kind of find it coincidental? Or
1: no, I think I mean it definitely we're opportunistic of course every time we do find really good talent we're gonna um, find a way to bring them into the company. I think that one of our big hallmarks has always been you find the best and brightest and you give them a platform like ours and 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 you let them be an extension of the client and that's what we've continued to do and that's been successful model for you know I think Bob and uh, the team you know from its inception right so for for us, we were seeing that demand in the marketplace. We were chasing projects that we knew were going to be coming down the pipeline, and knowing that we had you know an integrated platform that was going to be unique in that marketplace or in that you know in the delivery of those kind of projects. And so, some of those uh, the the fact that you could integrate a design and a construction team and really take on so much of that speed that you generate because of it and some of these projects need for delivery and consistency as they're also starting to raise capital and you know expand at incredible scales was an important thing for them to look at a place like Clayco and an ljc and you know even crg at times
0: well I'm so glad someone's thinking about this As someone who does worry quite a bit about us, you know, ruining the world and us having to live indoors 24 seven. Maybe I, maybe I read flowers for Algernon or some sci-fi story <laughs> when I was a kid that just kind of ruined me for life. I'm glad someone's thinking about how we're going to eat when we're trapped inside 24 um, seven.
1: Well, hopefully we continue to reduce right. And our consumption. And I think that, you know the reality is that there there are some irreversible I mean, it depends on how you look at this you know big challenge of sustainability there we can there it's amazing but there are still some complete deniers of climate change right out there there are also folks that say hey we're we're going to fix it all right and um it it's it's all going to be controlled because we've made some commitment for 2030 that we're you know, halfway there. Uh, The reality is that I think that a lot of our team just thinks about it far more practically and says, okay, we've got to do those things. It's not that you don't, but you also have to focus on resilience and resiliency and resiliency planning is something that you also, a lot of companies have to look at. Um, For every dollar you invest in sustainable, do you invest a dollar in resiliency as well? You know, so those are the things that you start to question and say, hey, that, there are some important things to think about that there has been some, you know, clear evidence that there's some the impact that's not going to be uh, recoverable. And both economic and social and all the impacts that follow through, that's where, you know, if you think about the work of architecture and construction and development, I mean, what we're really here for is solving big problems in the world and what, what, what is being built in the world. Um, You know, so everything from data centers to the EV and all that's happening in the energy markets. Those are the projects that are as big of an impact that you can make on architecture and construction um, as feasible.
0: That's interesting. I I had not heard the term resiliency planning. Does that mean if things, if we aren't able to um, really preserve the current status of the climate? How do we prepare? to withstand more difficult challenges?
1: Well, I think if you look at large real estate holders, they're already thinking about it. right? Um, you've got large tech companies that are large real estate holders that had guidelines of where, especially in the West Coast, if they were near a shoreline, if they were near a body of water, of where their finished floor elevation needed to be with the potential impact of sea rise. So. If, you're, if you are building a 50-year building or a 100-year building, and you're building for an institutional campus or an institutional user or a you know, large-scale tech company, there's probably folks already thinking about that and setting some standards about those future you know, resiliency programs. So those are the things that we do have to address and we do have to talk about uh, as a team. I'm not here to claim gloom and doom, so don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, it's just a matter of being, you know, it's another design parameter, right? So if somebody says, hey, we're building this education facility, and usually they have guidelines for roofing and materials for exterior envelope and insulation that try to create a 50-year kind of standard building, well, 50 years from now, everything we're talking about, has to also consider the climate impact and resiliency impact that it should have. That's just, in my opinion, it's just good design thinking, and, and it's got to be woven into practice, right? And so, um, at the same time, there's large real estate holders that, you know, probably do have to look at their real estate holdings and say, where will we be in 50 years? What do I want to consider? Um, you know, an alternative route for.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. It's like you're not in the business of making predictions. You're in the business of preparing for several different outcomes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like everybody else talks about, you know, we do a lot of healthcare work, talk to a healthcare architect, you know, talking about the impact of flexibility in a, a medical campus or... You know, if you look at some of the facilities over the last 20 years, just in healthcare, how much it's changed, how much it's impacted just by the pandemic over the last five years, and the impact of, you know, telehealth. And, you know, we did a project actually about 10 years ago for Mercy Health that was a virtual care center. So, uh, you know, kind of way ahead of its time in terms of developing a whole building that was going to be focused on virtual care. And, you know, there were there were no a really good opportunity of being able to take that and reduce healthcare costs. That's the way they were looking at it. it. Through the pandemic, it's become just a part of the norm of how we take on care. Right. And so, you know, those opportunities to be flexible and, you know, to me has to also start to take into impact uh, account, sustainability impacts and impacts of climate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. So you, We've talked about your uh, agricultural products. We've talked about you are working on medical office. You, you mentioned a high rise. Um, and if you go to LJC's website, they have a nice section, really clean website looks great.
1: Thank uh, you. Tell you guys are
0: in, in design because it's far superior than a law, than law firm website. <laughs> um, just it looks great. But, you know, you can see what you can kind of flip through the different projects that you guys have. I see you're building, you know, a pretty big building in Madison. It's going to be a high rise or multi-family kind of yeah, probably for students. Uh, yeah. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a CRG project with, with uh, LJC.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 534 bed mixed use development, you know, so talk about some of the other types of projects that you're, you guys are working on besides the agricultural and medical office?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, multifamily has been obviously booming, a big part of our recent, uh, you know, pipeline and continued pipeline. And we're seeing, you know, our ability then, uh, similar conversation we were having about being able to do this as an integrated team with CRG, but also other development companies all over the country. So we're doing Quite a bit with x companies right now and quite a bit with vela which is another development company that we're currently working with and then of course the project just in our backyard with Shapehack and crg um at one fulton you know the old bridgeford food site which has been cleared it's 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 starting to uh, has been obviously uh, approved by pd and been had some renderings and press on it previously so we're excited about what happens in that site and continues to develop um and and start to take hold in what is such a unique opportunity of a pretty large site left in that fulton area the whole neighborhood itself is is an amazing place for live work play and i think that's what we continue to pursue with our our projects in the urban settings so um, that's going to be a really exciting project for us. both as a design company, as a construction company, and a development company, and and of course our partner with uh, Shapehack, it, it, he's done an amazing, amazing uh, work, obviously in that in that area. So, yeah, and
0: for for those listeners that aren't familiar with the the West Loop Fulton Market area in Chicago, it's a area that's used to be the meatpacking industry industry and market, and it's just Transformed into what looks like you know an area of Manhattan. Like it look, reminds me of Chelsea Market in the way that, or the Chelsea area, just people up and about, restaurants everywhere, um and lots of corporate headquarters. You know, Google's over there, McDonald's is over there, many different corporate headquarters are over there. um So it's pretty unbelievable the transportation the transformation that's happened over the past 15 20 years, and it, it's really. But a lot. Of, but you're right, though. It's it's that specific site that you're working on is one of the last few ones left um in kind of the the meat of it um pun intended uh of that area
1: (laughs) yeah and you know it's it's such a unique uh project type but also at the same time the the other projects that we've done in recent you know completion i mean if you look at macy's uh the the work we did to to kind of condo out the office space at Macy's building, or everyone still, of course, you know, refers to Marshall Fields and <laughs> a big part of that history. So uh, whether you call it Macy's or the Marshall Fields building, uh, you know, maybe telling of perhaps my age as well. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, those projects in the, the unique creative office space, our interior design practice has continued to grow. We recently finished a, uh, you know, really large scale project for Horizon, Um, Pharma, which actually recently was in the press for having been acquired by Amgen. And and so, you know, there's some exciting things that are happening in the world of pharma as well. And we're equally involved in, you know, complex science-based projects as well. Uh, We did a project actually for Pfizer here in St. Louis, where we're the builder, the architect, the designer is one of those integrated projects with our development team as well. And so, you know, it kind of highlights. Um, being able to pull all these services together. And one of the things that, you know, happened in the Pfizer facility in St. Louis was actually where some of the research for the vaccine was developed for uh, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. So, you know, some of the things that we always actually really reflect back on, and I think this is a good, you know, it's end of year discussion, right? So a lot of folks are doing a lot of reflection as they always do. And you know, one of the things that we always reflect on is one of our mottos is Beyond These Walls. And what Beyond These Walls is about is, you know, the work is exciting, the architecture and the design. We have an incredibly talented team and we're really excited to do those projects, but it's what's happening inside. These are people's homes. These are people's memories that they're making if, if we're getting a chance to do a multifamily project. For Pfizer, it was where what's allowed my kids to go back to school. and. Uh, some peace in our house <laughs> for sure. uh, for those who were parents during the pandemic. We all need a big group hug at some point. But um, we're not too yeah, close to so a
0: group hug, you know?
1: Yeah, right, right. With with restrictions, right? With uh, six feet apart. Uh, but, but I think that those are the things that we reflect on and that the impact that these projects make and the challenges and the, the success those businesses then can have. So those are the you know, to me the reflective part of our of our end of year work is, you know, look at where we've impacted things that are happening on a day to day from ever where we live to how we live and where some of those folks are making new memories. So no,
0: that's that's a great way to kind of wind down this discussion and uh two quick personal notes is one, yes, I grew up going to the Marshall Fields, checking out their uh, <laughs> Their are store windows on Christmas Eve with my family. We go in there on Christmas Eve day, get some Frango mints. And uh, mm-hmm. it's cool that you transform those into condos above it. Um, and then, you know, Pfizer, actually, I know a little bit about that. Both my sister and my brother-in-law worked for Pfizer for over 20 years in the Kalamazoo area. My brother-in-law actually used to fly down and he had one... Um, a management position at the St. Louis plant. And so he would fly down there four days a week, fly back. He ended up um, moving, like transferring away from that job because it was just too hard to leave the family every every week. And my sister was one of the the key scientists in charge of the vaccine development. And so she used to coordinate the different labs at the Pfizer plant. And that was a brutal year. She was working seven days a week, would have to like, Wake up at two in the morning, go into the plant to check on um, where everything was, the vaccines Then come back home and then go back. And then, you know, she's just working. But, you know, it's really um, great what you were saying to, to look back and, you know, to have that work have such an important part yeah. in people's lives. And I don't think she would want to do that all the time, but once in a lifetime to, to save lives, uh, something pretty special. We, we always joke she didn't become a doctor because she didn't want to, she always, she said she didn't go to medical school because she didn't want to wake up in the middle of the night if patients were calling and, the, and her chemicals would never call her and ask to be tested <laughs> in the middle of the night. And then here she was having to test chemicals in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, um, Well, we're very thankful for the work uh, she did and companies like Pfizer and many others that contributed, right? So I feel a little bit more of a sense of normalcy i don't you know i don't know what normal is anymore i guess i'm sure like many others but certainly you know through the pandemic we were able to get our team back to work our construction team um and construction was deemed essential which was super important for the country and bob had a big part to kind of lead the charge and really lobbying to make sure that happened for a lot of us and really being open about what it took to continue to let our subcontractors our our fellow companies our competitors really all you know try to figure this out together as a team as an industry so i think those are the things that i take a great deal of pride in and being part of a company that was a you know part of the solution
0: that's really awesome well thanks for coming on the show thanks for sharing all your insights about LJC, and look forward to seeing you around next time
1: Yeah, good to see you, and thank you so much. Thanks, Keel. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and
0: does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.